Amen and amen. Good morning again, church. If you will turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And it saddens me to say it, but we've come to our final installment of our series in the book of Ephesians. So I want to take a brief moment just to tell you a little bit about what's coming up ahead and uh, what lies ahead for next week and then the weeks ahead. And uh, next week I've invited a dear friend of mine whose family is very close to my heart and my family's heart uh, and his name. Uh, I've invited him to come and preach and his name is Sam Hammontree. He's coming on behalf of Gideon's International and he's going to tell us about how they are working to spread God's word around the world and uh, here at home. And since it is God's word which penetrates and illuminates our sin heart, the need for that ministry is great. And so I am excited for us to hear from him, hear what the Gideons are doing, and uh, maybe how we can contribute to that as a church family. And I'm excited for you to meet him as well. It is, Sam is a very, very dear friend of mine. Now, this will also serve as the perfect segue for us uh, as the following week, we'll begin a new series, and this will be slightly different than most of the series that we have done. This will be a doctrinal series, and from time to time, I want to I take that time to highlight and to emphasize core doctrines to our faith and to who we are and to who God has called us to be according to His Word, and uh, you know, too often... Uh, some of these doctrines that we have are carried on and allowed to carry on as just assumed knowledge. That we assume that if someone is a believer, they have a firm understanding of our core doctrines and who we are and what God's Word says about who we are. And unfortunately, that's allowed to happen. But I don't want that to be the case for us. I want us to have a thoroughly defined belief of God's Word and understanding of what it says. So the reason I say that hearing from Sam and hearing from the Gideons will be a, a perfect segue is because this series will focus on the doctrine of sola scriptura. And so in this series, I want us to see that God's Word provides us with an all-sufficient foundation, source, and guide for truth. And so we'll, we'll hear from the Gideons next week, and then the following week we'll begin that doctrinal series. And then that series of, on Sola Scriptura will lead us all the way up to Advent, and our season of Advent will be spent in the book of Isaiah. And so I'm looking forward to how uh, our series are shaping out for the remainder of this year and looking forward to the new year. But for now, again, let us turn to this morning's passage. As we as I said, are wrapping up our series here in the book of Ephesians, I have just so, so thoroughly, I know I've said it multiple times throughout this series, but I have thoroughly enjoyed walking through this book together as a church. I've heard great feedback from you, and so I hope all of you have enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, and this morning, as we look here at Ephesians 6, uh, we're going to be particularly talking about this topic of strength. And most things in life that are worth doing take intentional preparation, take intentional equipping, take intentional planning for how the task or the goal or objective will be accomplished. And along with this, 
comes the old adage of expect the unexpected, right? With most things in life, we need to be able to expect uh, unexpected things to occur and kind of try to anticipate what those things might be and how we can be prepared for when those things pop up, up, right? So to prepare for whatever the challenge may throw at us. This is particularly true in war. Right? This is in, in war. You want to you listen to most any testimony from heroes who have fought in foreign wars, whether it be World War One, you go back and hear testimonies of that, or World War II, or Vietnam, or Iraq, or Afghanistan. They tell you of the consistently unpredictable nature of war. And the major theme and analogy used by Paul here in the second half of Ephesians has been that of a worthy walk. And the idea of the worthy walk has been the guiding analogy based off of the doctrines which he so beautifully espoused in chapters 1 through 3. So what does a worthy walk and the unpredictable nature of war have to do with each other? How do those things, how those two things come together? Well, this morning... Paul brings those two things together for us as he rounds out this letter to the church at Ephesus. And so we're going to see that the pathway of a worthy walk is not one which we can walk unguarded and not one which we can walk unprepared. Okay, and so that, that's where we're going this morning. I don't want to give you too much right up front. All right? I got I to gotta save a little bit for the sermon itself. So I'm going to invite you to go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of God's word as we read from our text and not the final time, but the final time for this series. Uh, read from the book of Ephesians and reading verses 10 through 24. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and have, having nothing, have done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, that to, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains." that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that, also, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything 
I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Now we thank you for this beautiful letter. We thank you for how it has challenged us over these last 18 weeks. We thank you for how it has encouraged us over that time. I pray that it would edify us now and continue to edify us as we continue to dwell on the truths therein in the years ahead that we spend seeking to pursue you in faithful obedience to your word. Bless this time. Bless the reading of your word. Encourage us. Challenge us. Help us to repent where necessary. And motivate us to move according to your word. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, church. So hopefully on your way in, you picked up an outline, as that'll be our guide through God's Word, and answers will be on the screen behind me, and I'll highlight those as we move through. But what we have seen in this second half of Ephesians is that to walk worthy, one must be in Christ. To walk worthy, one must be in Christ. That was firmly planted in the first half. And then as we move to the second half on what it looks like to live out the first three chapters, this analogy of a worthy walk was applied. And so in order to walk worthy, you have to realize that in the first three chapters, the theme was in Christ. And now this last half, and as we wrap up this morning, was to walk worthy. So without good, solid, well-defined doctrine, there is no way one can rightly walk worthy, which is why it's so important that you know, we're emphasizing a doctrinal series after this. And it's why we have doctrinal statements. And because without sound doctrine, one cannot define what worthy is. So you cannot walk worthy if you don't know what worthy is. And you cannot walk if you don't know what the path forward is. Well, sound doctrine provides those definitions. Sound doctrine provides an illuminated path for us forward. Without knowing what it means to be the people of God and all that God has accomplished in uniting us as his people, then one cannot possibly walk united which was Paul's first point on this walk of worthiness, was to walk united. Well, he highlighted what it means to be the people of God and all that God has accomplished in uniting his church in those first three chapters. Without knowing what it means to be the people, excuse me, without knowing the great links that God has gone to and providentially accomplished to pay the price for our sin and to make us his workmanship, then one cannot know what it means to walk holy, which was Paul's second point in a worthy walk, to walk united and to walk holy. Well, he defined those things for us according to God's word in those first three chapters. 
without knowing of God's love displayed on the cross of Christ and the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, direct quote from the first three chapters, then one cannot know what it means to walk in love as children of light. Which was the next step on that walk of worthiness. Walk holy, walk united, walk in love as children of light. And without having a firm grasp of how in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. It's from chapter 1 then we cannot have an understanding of what it means to walk wise. Again, he has lavished upon us all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. So we can't walk wise, which was the final step in that worthy walk, right? Walk united, walk holy, walk in love as children of light, walk wise. If we do not see the grand biblical narrative of God adopting us all as firstborn sons and uniting us as his church, then how can we possibly submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? That's what we looked at last week. You see, the connection that I'm drawing here is that without the firm understanding of chapters 1 through 3, we can't walk this worthy walk without firm, solid doctrine from God's word. How can we possibly reflect the grace of God in our marriages, in our families, in our workplace if we don't know the grace of God displayed on the cross? It is this mindset and this understanding which structures Paul's letter and leads him to conclude it with an exhortation to prepare for battle. And that's going to be what carries us through and what is the clear implications here as we're going to highlight these things. So I want you to look again at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Finally, be strong. This is the exclamation point of Paul's exhortation to the church at Ephesus, or really just the, the beginning of the exclamation point. Is that word finally is like, this, this, is, if, if, this is it. This is what we've been building to, church, right? So finally, be strong. Not ineffectual, weak, timid, but strong. Strength is something that continues to be marveled at and respected and praised across all ages and across all cultures. Strength is something that is acknowledged, admired, lifted up. And I'm not just simply speaking of, of physical strength, nor primarily speaking of physical strength, although the same can be said of physical strength, but also strength of determination, resolve, strength of mind. In this introduction to the conclusion. That's what I'm calling verse 10. It's the introduction to the conclusion, right? So Paul exhorts the church 
to be strong. Not physically and not even mentally, but spiritually. Be strong. However, the key phrase in this introduction to the conclusion, the key phrase here is not simply the exhortation to be strong. It's not just get in the gym and, and, and grow, right? The, the key phrase here is not just be strong, but it's the source from which Paul tells them to draw that strength. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Well, how does, how does one do that? We know where physical strength comes from. It comes from working out. It comes from repeated activity, breaking down the muscle so that the muscle can build itself back up stronger, all of those things, right? But, but when we think of how, how do we grow in our spiritual strength, and how does one do that by being strong in the Lord and the strength of His might? Where, where is the spiritual pro-fitness? Where, where can we get our spiritual gym membership to where we can go repeatedly and work out and, and grow and, and break down that spiritual muscle so that the spiritual muscle can grow back stronger? Well, it's chapters 1 through 3. Right? Because everything in chapters 1 through 3 is expounded upon from the entirety of God's Word. Chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians gives us a snapshot image of everything, of all the truth which God has done and accomplished leading up to this point in Christ. Again, that's a major theme of chapters 1 through 3, in Christ. So when we know God's Word... And have a solid foundation of the doctrines therein. And when we seek God's word as a deer pants for water. And when we plant deep roots beside the stream of God's word. We continually and exponentially grow. We grow not in our own strength. Not in our own mental fortitude. Not in our, just in our own knowledge. But we grow in our reliance upon him. See, that's our first point on your outline this morning is that God provides the requisite strength for the worthy walk. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. God provides the requisite strength for the worthy walk. We've been praying on the topic of strength on, in our Wednesday night gatherings this month, um, during the month of September. And in those gatherings, I've made this statement and kind of come to this conclusion, just kind of a summary statement of what we see uh, repeated throughout Scripture when it comes to our strength and the strength that we're encouraged to have from Scripture, right? And so, and, and this is it. God provides the strength necessary to rely on His strength. God provides us the strength necessary to rely on His strength. You see, the worthy walk is hard. It goes against the current. One time when I was younger, I was like, I can't remember exactly what age I was, like 10 to 12. Somewhere in that range is kind of 
what my brain seems to have stored away uh, for whatever that's worth. And uh, I don't remember exactly where we were on vacation, but my family and I, we were on vacation and we, were, we went to this river and uh, the river was high that time of year, but there was this one spot and there was a bunch of people there playing in the river and just kind of having a good old time. And uh, it was just high enough and strong enough that it would kind of push you through over these real smooth river rocks. And it was kind of fun. It was kind of like a large water slide is what it felt like as a kid, right? But as you went further down, got a little deeper. Well, deeper means more water, which means more force, stronger current, all those scientific things that come with a river, right? So um, I just kept having fun on that little part. And I thought, man, it would be really fun to go down there. And I mean, I can't remember how long I was doing this, but I just kept over and over, just letting myself be pushed down by the river, just riding along on the rocks, thinking it was a good old time. Well, then I got down to that stronger part and it was time to go. And my stepdad was on the bank, like a ways down, kind of hollering for me, saying it's time to go. And I stood up in that strong part of the river, getting ready to, to go. And I realized, like, I can't move. And all I, it was all I could do to keep myself standing up and not getting just swept away, let alone having to get out of the river, right? And so I'm like, I'm standing there and he's hollering, he's telling me, come on. And so he thinks that I'm just fooling around, which I typically was, right? And uh, he thinks I'm being obstinate and just not coming. And I'm just kind of just like pretending to fall down. So I would fall down and then I would like just barely be able to get myself back up and try to make my way to the edge and then I'd fall back down and then get swept down even further. So I just kept moving further and further down until finally I just kind of worked with the current and kind of let it push me to the edge and I was finally able to walk all the way back. Took forever. Got in big trouble because again they thought that I was trying to be insubordinate or something. I don't know. That wasn't the case, right? But I tell that story because this is what it's like to, to be walking the walk of the worthy walk. It's against the current of a sinful, broken world. And so as we walk a worthy walk, we need the requisite strength necessary to fight that current and to prepare ourselves to have constant pushback and to prepare ourselves to be able to fight against that current so that when you're being told to come on, that you can, right? All right. So this is the worthy walk, a muscle-burning walk that requires us to not rely on our own strength, but to rely on the measure of strength and might which God provides us to accomplish His will and to live for His purposes. Well, how does, how does the Lord strengthen us? with the strength of his might. What does that look like? How do we conceptualize that? How does, how does he equip us for this walk which requires so much strength? Well, Paul keeps writing here. Verse 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So we have an explanation of what that looks like for God to strengthen us in his might. Be strengthened, finally be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God. That's the explanation there. That's the connection there. It's not like a, a separate idea. Be strong, 
put on the full armor of God. No, it's be strong and put on the full armor of God. The first thing that stands out to me in this command, though, is that it's a command with assumed provision. Meaning, when Paul says, put on, the implication is what? That the armor is readily available. It's there, waiting to be worn. You see, armor is of no value if it's not worn. We've already seen Paul use this imagery of put on in chapter 4, verse 24, putting on the new self, right? Created in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ are not just called by God to walk worthy. So those of us who are in Christ, we're not just called by God to walk worthy, but we are readily equipped by God to walk worthy. God has called us and he has equipped us to walk worthy of his name and to give glory to his name and live in obedience to his word. So we are without excuse. So as we take inventory of our lives and we say, where, where am I walking in step and where am I out of step? Where is the light of the gospel shining brightly in my life and where am I tending to walk in darkness? As we take that inventory, as we take that analysis, we must remember that he is not simply called, but he has equipped us with every necessary tool to be strengthened in our walk. So if we're not walking in step, if we are tending to walk in areas of darkness, the fault is on us. So then we're given a reason right here for putting this armor on. Finally, be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He gives us the reason for putting on the armor. That God has equipped us to stand against that flowing, forceful current which is pushing us back actively schemingly, right? What's, what's interesting here is that the term, which we have heard repeatedly over the last month or more, that term of walk, that's the analogy, it's the, the picture that Paul has painted for us. Walk is not used here. He doesn't say that you may be able to walk against the schemes of the devil, that you may be walk according to God's word, worthy walk, Right? And that's not the imagery used here. Rather, Paul uses the illustration of stand. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This word stand would indicate a defensive posture. Which would make sense given that we're putting on armor. That's the idea here, right? However, this brings us full circle with the introduction to Ephesians. Go back to, to chapter 1 real quick. Just a few pages to your left. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay? So we're, we're already 
uh, we have been blessed in Christ in the heavenly places. All right. Now verse 20 of chapter 1. So he is, uh, that we may be able to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. And we are told as we walk through those that he has seated us with him in the heavenlies. Already it's accomplished in Christ. So why would our battles be of this world? So as we are being strengthened in the Lord, strong in the Lord, the strength of his might, we're putting on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes, not of man, not against the things that we're going to face in this world, the trials, the hardships that come with living in a sinful, broken world, but that we may be able to stand against the active schemes of the devil. So we have been seated with him in the heavenly places. Uh, we have been blessed in Christ in the heavenly places. So why would our battles be of this world if everything that has been accomplished for us is not of this world. There are going to be frequent times in our walk when we will have to make a stand for the truth of God's word, for the growth of our faith, and for the betterment of our sanctification. And we cannot expect this walk to be without attack. In fact, we cannot. This is the schemes of the devil. So active, intentional attack. But here, what we're seeing is that our enemy is not of flesh and blood. Our battle, therefore, must not be of flesh and blood. And our provision must not be of worldly, physical, tangible thing. But God provides the requisite protection for the worthy walk. So he's provided us the strength. And he's provided us that strength in the protection that he has given us. For the worthy walk. That's the next point on your outline. God provides the requisite protection for the worthy walk. And what, what pray tell, do we need protection from? Well, he told us that what sort of attack should we expect from the enemy in this worthy walk? We've already been told it's to stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So our battle here and our enemy is not fighting a battle that we see take place in front of us until we see a casualty or we see ourselves slip up in some way, shape, or form. We realize maybe then we remember like, there's a battle going on here, right? But the worthy walk, we must realize, church, is not through a meadow. This isn't just a, a walk along an easily well-lit, just easy-to-follow path, right? The worthy walk is not through a meadow, but through a battlefield. 
That's what we have to realize here. That's what Paul wants the church. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Why? Because you're going into battle. This idea of the armor of God can become a cute cliche. It can look good on a t-shirt. It can look good in a Sunday school class. It can, you know, it kind of, we have this cartoonish idea. Whether that be from, as I said, Sunday school or whether it's because we are so far removed from conflict in our modern Western world, I don't know. However, when you think of a worthy walk, don't think of a yellow brick road. Think of walking through no man's land in World War I trench warfare type stuff. This is what's being depicted here. You want to walk worthy? It's going to take everything you've got and then 10 times more. So be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. That's why the battle cannot be fought by our own strength. That's why the battle cannot be fought alone. That's why we don't have the requisite armor to fight the battle. We have to have it provided for us. That's why, left to our own devices, we don't possess the necessary tools to defend ourselves in this battle. I've told y'all many times my love for the story of Lord of the Rings and there's an analogy that goes along. I'll find that many times in sermons, I, I promise you. So there's this battle that takes place called the Battle of Helm's Deep. And this, these people, people of Rohan, have to flee this these great army of monsters that's coming against them, right? I'm using terminology for non-Lord of the Rings people, all right? Just trying to make sure everybody understands it. So... They're about this huge army coming against them. They have to flee to this fortress in the mountains that kind of has a big, strong wall. And then they have to inscript a military because they have some military. Most of them have been killed already. So everybody that they have left is stable boys, old men, people who haven't been formally trained in battle. And all that they have left, because they didn't have time to prepare for this war, is just what's been left from wars past. So they have these swords that are dull and chipped, and they have this armor that's just worthless. And so in looking at this, one of the characters says, they're all going to die. He says it in a different language so that they don't understand, right? But that's what he says. He's like, he's looking, this ain't good. Like, this is who we're fighting against. This is who we're fighting with. You do the math, right? So I quoted... Dietrich Bonhoeffer last week and saying, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die, right? And so I'd like to add to that quote with my own statement. And, and what I would like to add is this, when Christ redeems our life from death, he bids us ready for battle. When Christ redeems our life from the pit of death and from the sinfulness that we walked in in our old life, and when we put that life off and we put on the new self, the new self that we're putting on is not just you know easy shoes for walking down a yellow brick road, but the new self that we're putting on is a self that must be ready for battle. The equation for a worthy walk is zero plus Christ equal all necessary strength and might. Did you catch that? We're the zero in that equation, all right? Just in case you missed it, okay? So I'll, I'll let you figure out which part of the equation we contribute to if, if that didn't add up. So zero plus Christ equal all necessary strength and might. So parents, this means that as we train up our children in the faith, 
as we show them the way of the worthy walk, we're preparing our children for war. The question is, are they ready? Adults, this means that every day we wake up eager to walk the worthy walk. We are waking up in a war zone. Are we actually walking like we're in a war zone? See, that's why Paul has to tell them, put on the whole armor of God. Be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. Here's the other reality at play here. So you're sitting here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're kind of doing a cursory look at your life at this point and you're hearing all of this and you're thinking to yourself, man, this life is, is pretty tough. There's a lot of stuff to deal with in this world and this world doesn't really provide me what's necessary. It doesn't equip me for what it gives me, which is a lot of grief and sorrow and heartache and brokenness and sin. So maybe you're also thinking, I could use some of that strength from outside myself. I could use some of that provision of protection. I could use some of that. You'll find none of those things in this world. As all of us will tell you in here, we've pursued those things outside of Christ and we found that it's not anywhere outside of Christ. You found no strength, no protection, no provision in the world. You can keep searching, but that's not going to change. It's not going to turn up anything. The only way to have the strength of Christ, to be strong in the Lord, the strength of His might, the protection of Christ, the provision of Christ, is to be in Christ. And so this is the gospel. This is the message of Ephesians, that to be in Christ is to have everything that our hearts were created to long for in an overabundance of God's glorious grace. And the only way to be in Christ is to repent and believe. Repent of sin, and believe in the gospel, and prepare yourself for battle. And as we continue reading, this opens our eyes to the reality that there is a battle raging all around us, whether we know it or not, and we are right in the thick of it. As we continue reading, verse 13. Therefore, it's our famous word in this letter, right? So we are, we've already seen what the therefore is here. So we're, our battle's not against flesh and blood. We need to be strong, take up the whole armor of God. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to stand firm. So this is what was happening here is that we, we see this repetition Right? we already been told in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Then we get even greater explanation of what that looks like. And then we get, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Like, wake up, church. You're in a battle. And this is the only way that you're going to be able to withstand in the evil day. It's not by your own strength, not by your own knowledge, not by your own might, but it's by standing strong in the Lord and the strength of His might and putting on the requisite armor that He has provided. And then, having done all, that is all that you can do, which is submit and accept the gift that has been given to us, right? You may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all, 
stand firm. We're not just standing. We're not just kind of standing, shaking in our armor, hoping that things work out okay. We are standing firm, having put on the whole armor and having been strengthened by the strength of His might. Because our battle is not against a human enemy, we do not use human means nor defenses. We have been equipped with strength that we do not have, by armor that we could not forge, for a battle that we cannot see or conceive. That's what's being broken down here for us. We have been strengthened with strength. We have been equipped with strength that we do not have by armor that we could not forge for a battle that we cannot see nor conceive. So those who walk into battle must walk armed. Right? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. So in other words, if you're not wearing the armor, you're not standing firm. You haven't done all. So, those who walk into battle must walk armed and ready. You'll notice again who it is. I want to emphasize this. Who it is that supplies us with everything necessary for life and godliness. It's the Lord himself. The command is to take up the armor of God. Not to take up your own armor. Not to prepare to fight our own battles, not to stand firm in our own abilities. No. The command here is take up the armor which God has graciously supplied for our strengthening that we may be able to walk the worthy walk and glorify Him. We see this same thing in 2 Peter 1. You can turn there or... Uh, It'll be on the, the screen behind me. Second Peter 1, we see this same idea. This time it's coming from Simon Peter, right? Writing to those who have obtained faith, equal standing by ours. And he writes this, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. His divine power, so notice the, the common themes here. It's two different Two different authors, but they're the same, same thing. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter doesn't provide that analogy of armor, but he does provide this idea that if you possess these attributes, these fruitful attributes, which are clear throughout Scripture, which are accomplished in us, in Christ working through us, 
If you possess these things, it'll keep you from being unfruitful and ineffective with your knowledge. That your knowledge of Christ won't just be head knowledge that puffs up, but it'll be a knowledge that's effective and fruitful and, and impacts change. So how has God equipped us? How has he armed us? The effective, fruitful, worthy walk. God is in the effective, fruitful, worthy walk. God has provided us with everything necessary. But how? How has he done so? What tools has he provided for our protection? What is the whole armor of God that Paul has now twice instructed that we put on and take up? Well, we continue to read verse 14. Stand therefore, there it is again, stand, we're taking our stand in defense, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So we see this belt of truth. So we see that the truth binds us. It keeps us. It, it holds us together. So we had all that truth espoused in chapters 1 through 3, and that's what's been how we live according to that. How we walk the worthy walk is by not just knowing 1 through 3, but living according to 1 through 3. Therefore, we have 4 through 6. So the truth of God's Word is what binds us. What else? Having on fast, fast on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of Righteousness. So the breastplate, right, is that, that front leading guard that protects against maybe sword coming and hitting you or maybe against a glancing arrow or, you know, what have you. It, it kind of it protects those vital organs, right, that breastplate. So we see righteousness guards us. Righteousness is what guards us and what has been accomplished in our righteousness. It is only through Christ and us submitting to the work of Christ on the cross that we are made righteous, that we are declared as firstborn sons and given the rights as firstborn sons as we saw in chapters 1 through 3. So it's our righteousness and everything that God has accomplished in making us righteous. That's what guards us in these evil days. And as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So truth binds us, righteousness guards us, and the gospel mobilizes us. So as we take our stand, we're not some immovable, immobile, weighted down by this armor, but we are light on our feet, ready to move, ready to go, following that path, walking the worthy walk, eager to take our stand when we're needed to. The gospel mobilizes us. We're not stagnant troops waiting as a sitting target. Rather, we are mobilized and readied with the gospel of peace. How else? Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil. And remember, these are active schemes, active plans of the deceiver, of the enemy. So therefore, we need an active protection, right? Take note that a shield, though it is a defensive tool, is one that must be actively used. If I just have a shield on my arm, my arm's just down here on my side inactive, it's not much use, right? A shield, you have to wield it actively. 
Faith provides an active defense. It's this picture that we're given here. Choose your feet, put on the readiness of the gospel of peace. All circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So faith provides an active defense. It's a shield of faith, right? So our enemy actively fires darts of deceit and destruction and doubt. So therefore, we better actively use the measure of faith that God has granted us to actively repel the lies of the enemy. Once again, where does that shield of faith come from? Who equips us for battle? It's the Lord. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We see this in chapter 3. If you want to turn there, or just a page or two. Chapter 3, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Faith actively shields us, actively protects us. It's our active defense against an active and scheming enemy. So the next thing that we're giving there is instruction. Take the helmet of salvation. So our salvation is what kind of guards us. It's, a, it's at the forefront. It's at, our, at the head. The sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. Which is our other piece of active, not just defense, but active offense against the enemy. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So the next thing that we're given there, we, the, 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 the popular one there is the sword of the Spirit. We know that one, the helmet of salvation. But oftentimes here at the end, it's kind of like, yeah, and praying in the Spirit kind of thing, right? But praying at all times in the Spirit. So to be active in the midst of this battle, prayer is part of this role. It doesn't, it's not given an you know, illustration of a piece of armor but it's an active part of this. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And then he goes on. The next part of verse 18. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So we have that helmet of salvation, that guard over such a vital part of our body. 
We have the active sword of the Spirit, which God's Word, which He gives us to actively wield and to know and to, to have a, a firm grasp and knowledge of. And we're told to actively pray all times in the Spirit with all prayer. And not only for ourselves, to that end, to be alert in prayer and perseverance, to always be praying for the church as a whole. And Paul asks specifically for prayer for himself on the stance that he wants to more boldly proclaim the gospel, the very reason which he is in prison writing this letter. And so we see there that prayer unites us in alert perseverance. Because we need perseverance to withstand an elongated battle. As we're mindfully in battle constantly, and we need perseverance, and the perseverance, they got one of the means of perseverance, one of the means of God's grace, which He has given us to endure, is He's given us each other. So therefore, we better pray actively for one another to be strengthened by the strength of the Lord and the strength of His might. And finally, He gives his final greetings here, which I just love. So that you may know, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the, bro the beloved brother and the faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Oh, that we would have that, just that mindset of each other. That when we see a brother or sister in Christ that's among our church family or maybe another church family, that we, that our hearts would be encouraged. And in this final, this final two verses, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. Where do we know of love incorruptible? How do we understand true peace? It's according to his glorious grace, which he has shown us in Christ. Let's pray, church. God, we love you. Now forgive us. For we too often just haphazardly and kind of unpreparedly and unintentionally walk through life, not eagerly ready for battle as you have called us to be, but rather just kind of fulfilling our own desires. But God, I pray that we would be encouraged and challenged and enlightened from your word. That to be in Christ is to put on the new self. And that new self that we put on is not some weak, ineffectual person. And that new self we put on is to be strengthened in you, in the strength of your might, and re ready for battle. Equip us, challenge us, help us to challenge one another. And help us to do so well in obedience to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.